for as long as I can remember, I have wanted to see people get saved. It's, it's been a long time since that wouldn't be the case. I, I pretty much, I don't remember that much to be fair, but for as long as I remember, that is what I've wanted. Uh, and when Christ followers use the word saved, if you're, if you're new here um, or new to just checking out uh, church and, that, and Christianity and that kind of thing, we use the word saved, we're referring to the work God does in bringing people from spiritual death to spiritual life. It's the preaching of the gospel, the good tidings or the good news that God, the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to live among us as a man, that he was perfect, holy, and sinless, and that he died to pay the price for our sins, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, having victory over sin and death and hell, and that we can be right with God, even though we are sinners, if we confess the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. That's it. That's, that's what it is. Being saved means being born again, not born of the flesh, as Nicodemus asked, can I go back in my mom and be born again? To which I think Jesus is probably like, dude, seriously? Um, you don't, what? You know, that's not what I'm talking about, bro. And that's, that's ridiculous, right? But of course, Nicodemus is, is sort of making his point. Jesus is like, no, listen, it's not of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's being born again in spirit, the spiritual birth, because we are spiritually dead because of the fallenness of the world and our sin. So being saved is being born again, born of the spirit. It's transformation from death to life, from judgment that we are under as sinners to grace that we have in Jesus Christ because of his death and resurrection. It is the very best and most glorious experience a person can have. It is the beginning of life in Christ. I'm all about it. I mean, I'm all about it. I would gladly give up everything I have to see people get saved. If I knew, like if you could go buy it, right? Like, hey, you give your car, person gets saved. You give this, person gets saved. No problem. Easy call. Easy call. I would give everything I have if I knew that would get people saved. I would, I believe, I would faithfully give my body to pain and death to see people get saved. Because, not because I'm so special, but because I know the power of being saved. And of course, I know my hope in Jesus Christ, so my death is life in Christ. Right? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I know what it is to be a wicked, vile, sinful man. And I know what it is like to be forgiven and free. I know those things, and it drives me to want to see people get saved. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That verse is the, the, so powerful because we do sin. We do mess up. We have issues. Everybody here has a past. Some of you probably are sitting here thinking, my past really is too bad. I don't really know how Jesus could love me. Let me tell you, you got nothing on me, okay? I'm the chief of sinners and Jesus still loved me. And this verse is true for me and it's true for you. Amen. He's faithful. He's always faithful. And he is just. He has provided a way for us to escape justice. Justice is death for us. We deserve death for suppressing the truth, capital T truth that we have, that he's revealed to us, and we've suppressed it. But he's given us a way to have life where we deserve death. I am totally thrilled about the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. As Paul writes by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and there's Bibles in the chairs, if you need a Bible, if you don't have a Bible at home, take one of those with you. That's our gift to you. You don't owe us anything for that. If you want it, take it. Please take one home with you. If not, it'll be on the screen. You can use your phone if you want, but I know you're really just looking at Instagram. 
Romans 1, 15 through 17. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. We sing the gospel on Sunday mornings. We preach the gospel. We glory in the gospel. We are all about the gospel. If you have never heard the gospel or experienced salvation, I pray that you receive forgiveness of sins and new life in Jesus Christ today. It says in Romans 10, 10, 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so if you are not a Christ follower, this is the day. If you're online or you're listening to this later, wherever you are, get in touch with us. If you're online, if you're here, talk to one of the elders, talk to one of the pastors, the leaders, the deacons, whoever. We want you to be saved. We are all about the gospel. There is more. There is what happens when you receive Jesus Christ and are born again spiritually to new life. And there is the transformation of your life, of your heart, of your body and soul. And there is the work of the Holy Spirit growing you. There is that which comes after salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new because Jesus Christ makes all things new. If you ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, that scene where like Mary's running to him and she gets to him and he says, I make, don't, don't you know, mom, I make all things new. And I'm just like, forget it. I can't watch it. I can't like the emotional toll that takes on me because of what it means to me to know what he has made new in me and what he will continue to make new and that he will make all things new. I told you guys not that long ago. One of our um, folks that, one of the Christ followers who was in the church here passed away not, not too long ago, about a year ago, and I visited her in the hospital and read her that in Revelation, but I make all things new. And she said, oh, read it again. I think we read it two, three, four times. She just, I mean, she was, you know, she was about to go home and she just was just in ecstasy thinking about Christ making all things new as she was sitting there in pain in the hospital. Amazing thing. A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He makes all things new. I thank my God. This is Philippians 1, 3 through 6. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The receiving of new life in Christ is the beginning of new things. It is not the end. It is not the end. Life in Jesus Christ is not simply and only salvation. It is the moving on, the growing, the producing of fruit and the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. If you're doing these things, there's no law. There's no law because you're going to do the will of God if you're living in the fruit of the Spirit. The gospel is the truth of God in Jesus Christ. It is the basis of our faith and the promise of our hope for eternal life. 
The gospel saves us and makes us disciples. A disciple is a learner, a pupil of Jesus Christ. A disciple is a follower, a person who has made Jesus Lord and God. A disciple is a person who is learning, being taught, growing in knowledge and in wisdom. John 8.31, we read this last week, the week before. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And then in 13, John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So disciples of Jesus Christ abide in, live in, follow his word. They are learning and growing and becoming more and more obedient. That's what a disciple is doing. Disciples are following the commands, including this new command that God gives us to love one another as he has loved us. That means fully, sacrificially loving one another. That's the call of a disciple. Now, a person who is saved and is not walking as a disciple is a sad person, a sad person indeed. Something for us to think about. Here, listen to this parable that Jesus Christ preached. This is in Matthew chapter 13, right at the beginning of the, of the chapter. Starting with verse 1, it says, On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Be nice. Except for this. And great multitudes were gathered together to him. They didn't leave him alone. So that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower... Not, not like thread and whatever, someone who puts seed out. Okay? A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He goes on to explain this parable to his disciples. And this is what he says. This is starting in verse 18 of Matthew 13. We'll read through verse 23. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, gospel's preached, they don't get it. Then the wicked one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he who receives the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some 100-fold, some 60, some 30. Now, there were four groups here. There are four groups. Okay, and I want to walk through this because it's important. It's important to understand what's going on here, and you're going to see a, a dichotomy of sorts between a saved disciple and a saved non-disciple. So watch this. The first group were unsaved. They weren't saved. This is the seed that fell by the wayside and the birds ate it. They heard the gospel. They didn't get it. 
They weren't into it. Satan came, took that away. They walked out. This is the person who comes to church or goes, or hears something online or whatever. They hear the gospel, it's proclaimed to them, and they go, meh, and they walk away, okay? Some of us were that person until finally it got through, right? But this is a, these are unsaved folks. But the second group, the second group, the stony places, they heard it and received it with joy and sprouted. New life, sprouted, new life. I believe these people received salvation, but they had no depth and no root. Now, there are people who would disagree with me about this passage, and they would say the only saved people are the people who produced lots of fruit. But I think for a lot of reasons, one of which you'll, uh, Lord willing, be taught next week in terms of rewards and things like that. There are a lot of reasons in Scripture for me to believe that three out of four of the people that we're talking about here were actually saved including these on the stony ground, who sprouted up with new life, but had no root. So as soon as trouble came, or persecution because of the word, they're gone. They, can't, they didn't endure, okay? They didn't endure. Doesn't mean they weren't saved. Means they weren't disciples. Means that soon after salvation, their discipleship ended because they just didn't have the root and the staying power. Then there was another group. There was another group where it was the thorns, right? They sowed among the thorns, and they, they also sprouted, received the word, joy in their heart, salvation, some growth. And then what happens? The, the weeds, the thorns, they choked it out. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. Now, we can read right by that, but I want you to think very hard, very hard, because I have to think very hard, about whether or not That applies to an awful lot of Christians. There was some fruitfulness. They're kind of going somewhere. But then the cares of this world, distraction. The deceitfulness of riches. By the way, if you didn't know this, in comparison to everyone else in the world, basically, you all are rich. If you don't believe me, come down to Honduras. Watch a kid pick up gross candy off the ground and be happy to have it. Well, we are in Candyland here. You can get all the candy you want. It's not that expensive. It's getting more expensive, though. Not that I eat candy. <clears throat> Forgive me, Lord. Seriously, it's not good for me. Um, but here's the thing. The deceitfulness of riches, the cares of the world, they choke out fruitfulness. It's not, in my opinion, my reading of the scriptures, not these people weren't saved. That's not it. It's that they weren't fruitful. They weren't fruitful. Now, there's the last group. The last group, good ground, right? Good ground. Falls on there, they receive it, they sprout, and they just keep on sprouting. Now, there's different levels of it. Some 30, some 60, some 100, right? Some people are just absolutely growing, growing and growing and growing, just the disciple who's just after the Lord. Some people a little less, but still growing. Some people a little less, but still growing, So you have those that continue in growth. You have those that do not continue in growth. For one reason or another, their growth ends. Now, I think that all of us can go through a little bit of this. I'll have times where, man, I'm just not getting my Bible reading done. And it doesn't take long to look at why that's happening and go, oh, cares of the world. Stuff's coming up. I'm distracted. I'm not focused. I'm not doing what I ought to do. If I'm following Jesus and he's going, I need to stay with him. Or else what happens, you see this in Bible reading, I got to catch up. 
and I'm running to go, okay, instead of just walking along with Jesus, right? I, 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 can get, I, can, I can get in a place where I'm not as fruitful because of some of these things. So can you. The point is, is that discipleship is about the people who were growing, who were fruitful. The good ground, those people sprout up, sprout up with new life and are saved and they continue as disciples and are fruitful. Like I said, next week, Lord willing, you're going to be taught about fruitfulness and rewards. But I want to focus on the next step after new life. I want to focus on what it means to be a disciple, the life of a disciple. We have been in a series called Controversy, looking through the tough passages of the Bible. And a lot of them are tough. I want us to think today about the controversy of the Great Commission. The controversy of the Great Commission. The verse on the wall outside this room that we're sitting in right now is the Great Commission. There's some controversy about that, okay? Remember that I said at the beginning, we need to always preach the gospel. We need to always sow the seed of the word and call the lost to repentance a new life. But the Great Commission is focused heavily, actually, on what happens after salvation. Our call as Christ followers, as disciples, is to see people saved and, saved and, saved and discipled. Okay, saved and discipled. Let's look at the Great Commission, see what the controversy is here. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now there are three parts here, at least three parts. Okay, the first one, to make disciples. To make disciples, that's the first one that we have. And how do we make disciples? Well, we have a prescriptive and descriptive passage. Prescriptive meaning telling us how to do it. And descriptive saying, this is what happened. Passage on how to make disciples in the book of Acts. Let's look at Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 19. It says, Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So Paul was not having a good day. Not ideal. Okay? They stoned him, believed he was dead, dragged him outside of the city. I like this part. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. He went back in. They stoned him. They dragged him outside thinking he's dead. Disciples come. Up he gets. They thought he was dead. Goes back into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, the, the real honey spot here, the money verse, is in the middle. It says this, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples... Made many disciples. Disciples are made by preaching the gospel. That's how we make them, okay? A new disciple is made when God saves that person, and God saves that person. He uses us preaching the gospel to bring that person to himself and make a disciple. Make a disciple. That's how you make them. Now, that doesn't say anything about whether that disciple will keep on discipling or whether that disciple will get choked out, burned up, whatever, doesn't say anything about that, but you make the disciple by preaching the gospel. You make the disciple by preaching the gospel. I try to include the preaching of the gospel in every sermon I preach. I've already done it today, at the beginning of this sermon. I want people who are seeking to know how to be saved. And when they get saved, I want them to become disciples. 
I don't want them to be scorched. I don't want them to be choked out. I don't want them to not endure. Choked out by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. I don't want any of that. I want to make disciples, saved people who are Christ followers. That is the first call of the Great Commission. That is why I preach the gospel. In basically every message I ever preach, you're going to hear the gospel. You're going to hear the good news of how to be saved. But I do not only preach the gospel. I also preach the whole counsel of God from the scriptures. Because there is more to the Great Commission. The second thing that we see there, baptize. Pretty easy. Doesn't take that long. We baptize those who receive new life in Christ to show the world that these people have repented of their sins, been forgiven and saved, right? Death and resurrection with Christ were identified with him. This is the first step of discipleship. The first step of discipleship. So you see this order. Go, therefore, and make disciples. How do we make them? We preach the gospel that makes a disciple. Then what do we do? They do the first disciple thing that disciples do, which is get baptized. Follow the command of Jesus to get baptized. That's the next step. Then we move to number three. This is where things take time, effort, energy, difficulty. Teaching them to obey all that Jesus Christ has commanded. This is where the controversy begins. Almost all serious believers are committed to seeing new life in Christ, making disciples, the making part, and baptism of new disciples. We all love that and should. When someone gets saved, we are cheering and excited. When someone gets baptized, we are cheering and, and we're excited about it. The angels in heaven are excited about it. It's an amazing thing when somebody gets saved and baptized. But that is the beginning. The rest of the Great Commission, the rest of it, is about teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. The last part is about discipleship, real discipleship, real Christ following. The discipleship that moves to fruitfulness. The discipleship that gets us to the good ground in the 30 and the 60 and the 100 fold. That's what that last part is about. This is the discipleship that sees the believer becoming more and more holy, more and more sanctified, made pure, made perfect in Christ. This is where the fruit of the Spirit truly blossoms. This is where the knowledge of the Scriptures grows. This is where the love of God intensifies. In this part of the Great Commission, we're helping people to get the love that they have for God and the love they feel from God to intensify greater and greater and get greater and greater faith and trust in God and less and less fear and loneliness and insecurity and all the things that we have from the world. That's what it looks like when you're being fruitful. The things that are negative in your life bother you less and less, move you less and less. And the things that are in Christ draw you more and more. That's what discipleship is about. That's what the Great Commission is really about. It's about preaching the gospel, getting people saved, baptizing them, and then discipling them. This is where men and women of God shine in his glory, in his goodness. This is where real, true love blooms and ripens into the eternal. When you start to have relationships of love, that there's only a small step between here and eternity. When you're with a, a man or woman of God, a Christ follower, a brother, sister in Christ, and you understand just inherently that this is just part of the eternal life that we will share together. And you're living in that. You're not going day to day worried about the cares of the world. You're not, you didn't ignore after you got saved and go, oh, whatever, I'm saved. I got my fire insurance card. Stick that in the wallet. Off we go. You're not doing that. 
You're not constantly struggle, struggle, struggle. I can't do it. You're, you're a disciple. You're following. You're doing the things. And you're growing because of it. It doesn't mean you won't have hard times. You will. Persecution's coming. Difficulty is coming. Trials are coming. Tribulation is coming. But what happens is you're moved less and less by it because you're focused more and more on him. That's what discipleship looks like. We don't do it alone. He promises us right there in the Great Commission, and lo, I am with you always. Jesus is with us always. The Holy Spirit is in you and with you, even to the end of the age. Amen. And the end of the age, it is a coming. Turn on the news. It's rough. Glenn sent me a, uh, Glenn Cook, one of our elders, sent me an article yesterday that there is a bill that's been passed that if a teenager runs away from home to a youth shelter that they can uh, not tell the parents about it and give the child an abortion or a or transgender care without the parents knowing and without their permission and governor Inslee assumably is going to sign this it's passed both the house and the senate and it wasn't that close so that your teenage kids if they want to can just run to one of these shelters and not tell you about it Get abortions, get, get uh, transgender care, and you don't get to say anything as a parent. If you don't think that we have lost our minds, you're not paying attention. It is the end. It is the end. The Lord is coming back. And great, he's with us always even to the end of the age. But, we're, but here's the thing. I'm all about that. You know, we did 80-something sessions of study on the end times and that kind of thing. That's all awesome. It's great. But let's not forget that as we're looking for the Lord, we can't just stand here mouth-breathing. <sighs> right? we got work to do. Until he comes, and I don't know when that's going to be. Seems like it's coming soon. But I don't know what it's going to be. We have to be busy being disciples, making disciples, discipling others, being discipled. That's what we're to do. The controversy is that the preaching of the gospel to make disciples and the teaching of all that Jesus Christ commanded to grow disciples are at odds with one another for some people. For some people, their thing is, listen, we got to focus, focus, focus on that first part, the making disciples part. Everything's got to be about that part. And we're going to kind of ignore the other part because they're saved. And so they'll sort of figure it out. There's lots of stuff online that they can do. There's lots of, they can get together and make a Bible study if they want type thing. But there are, there are churches and parachurch organizations and so on that super, super focus on the making disciples, preaching the gospel, getting somebody saved, getting them baptized part, and then ignore the huge part of the Great Commission that's about getting deeper and serious and helping a believer become a true disciple and be fruitful. Now, of course, we know there is no problem with the two. Jesus wouldn't have said it if he was saying, you can do this one, you can't do that one. You can do both. We try to do both. And I'm not talking about any particular church or whatever. There are people who, oh, this church does this and this. I don't care about that. All I care about is what God's called us to do. All I care about is what we're called to do. And we are called to do both, to preach the gospel, but also to get very serious about discipleship, not allowing, we got to cut those thorns Right? We got to get, we got to help people get the root as deep as we can so that they can grow and become fruitful. That's what we're called to do. Serious discipleship, deep teaching. Those things do not alienate those who are seekers or seeking the gospel. 
If you come in here and you don't know Jesus, you're, you would much rather me talk about serious things than pander just to you and tell you go over just the gospel and nothing else. Because if you're an unbeliever and you're here, you're listening online, you need to know that we're serious about what we do. We have reasons for what we believe and we're moving forward against the gates of hell and we think that's real. And we think God's real. And we think Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And this is our lives. And if it's just the first thing, get you saved, get you baptized. And it's not the significant, serious rest of your life. We don't just get saved, get baptized, and go, okay, now what? Uh, potluck? Anybody? Right? I guess we'll do another potluck. Right? That's not what we do. We go, okay, what's next? And for every one of you that's in Christ, there is a what's next for you where you are and where he's drawing you. You're being pulled by your future, as Dr. David likes to say. Where is he drawing you? We are a great commission church. We are all about the gospel and all about all of its implications, all about the whole counsel of the Bible. We reject any philosophy of ministry for this church that focuses on one aspect of the great commission and undervalues the other aspects. That's important for you to understand. Yes, I want you to bring your unbelieving family, friends, and neighbors in here so they can hear the gospel. But I also want you to be here so that you can grow and be discipled. I want all of those things to be going on. I want us to be serious because God's called us to be serious. Teach all that Jesus Christ commanded. There's a lot there. You've got to, the whole scripture is about Jesus. This is a long book. There's a lot going on here. It's a lot for us to learn. We are a church that's about one, two, and three, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that Jesus Christ has commanded. And we do that foundationally in two ways. And this is where we kind of get into who we are as a church for a minute. Two ways. On Sunday mornings, at our weekly gatherings, which is what we're at right now, for worship, for fellowship, hanging out, saying hi, giving hugs, and the study and teaching of God's word, and house to house in our life groups. Acts 2, 46 through 47. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The model here is that we have big gathering and small gathering. That's what the church looks like, that we have been meeting on the first day of the week, on Sunday, for 2,000 years. Christians chose it because it was the day of the resurrection. I know that the Sabbath is Friday evening to Saturday evening, so you say, well, why don't we do it on the Sabbath? Well, because Christians have for 2,000 years been doing it on Sunday, the first day of the week. That's when we gather together. That is the big gathering. That's where we all get together. But then we have what we call at this church life groups. Some other churches call them small groups do groups. I don't know. People call them weird stuff. Some people have fun names for them. Um, we call them life groups. And we've always called them life groups because you're living life together. That's, that's what discipleship looks like, right? Today is life group Sunday. Today is a day where we, I want to apply what we are studying today to what we do as a church with our life group ministry. Our life group ministry is a discipleship ministry. It is a discipleship ministry. It is intended to help the people of the church grow as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ. Those are the things that we do here. In case you're ever wondering what we do as a church, it is on the wall. We make disciples by preaching the gospel. 
making disciples. We baptize them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We teach them to obey all that he has commanded. Everything else that we do comes, flows out of that because that's our commission. And so we love each other. We meet mostly in homes. We break bread and eat together. We spend time with each other, study the word of God with each other. We give each other good counsel from scripture as we're going through things. We're praying together. We're doing all those kinds of things. All of that is part of the discipleship plan and program. That's what we do in life groups. But if you're not in a life group, you are simply missing out on the second of the two foundational legs that we're standing on as a church to do the Great Commission. You're doing the one on Sunday, but missing the other part of it. You're missing the other part of it. The life group's part of it. Life groups are a vehicle that drives discipleship. It drives growth. It has been in my life, my wife's life, uh, our, our small group uh, participation over the years has been one of the things that has been the most uh, impactful to our marriage, to our life in Christ. And it can be for you too. You gotta be serious about it. Life groups are our primary way of discipling one another and being discipled. And they are all about calling. God has a life group for you. He is probably calling you to a life group where you can serve others and grow in your own discipleship. Now, I'm not saying that because they're discipleship-focused that life groups aren't a place you can bring people who have not yet heard the gospel. The gospel is, of course, preached in life groups also. We're happy to have somebody who needs to know Jesus come to a life group. Happy to do that. But the life group ministry is primarily about growing disciples, growing Christ followers into greater and greater levels of fruitfulness, more fruitfulness. I've talked to people about life groups a lot. I've done some real thinking and praying for wisdom on life groups. One of the things that um, has been interesting for me is that I have always said to people, go to several life groups, see which one you like, and then sort of pick a life group based on the one that sort of seems like the best one for you. And I thought about that yesterday, and I thought, that's church shopping, (laughs) which is like I'm totally against. Church shopping, the idea that I go to find the church that does the most for me versus I pray about the church that Christ is calling me to, right? Very few people are going to church shop their way to Acts Church, by the way. We just don't have all the stuff, you know? I don't have the bounce house and the what? I mean, there's way, there's way more stuff out there. If you come here, you're probably called to be here. But that's what, I, that's what we push here is you are not looking for the place that serves you. You are looking for where God has called you to fit into his body, the body of Christ, and serve there. And then when I talk about life groups, I'm like, no, 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 go shop them out. But, that's, but that doesn't make sense. That's inconsistent with scripture. It's inconsistent with the way we think about church. You are called to a life group. You should be praying about which group you're called to, not checking out which one is the most fun. That's the way it should work. Now, I have something for us to do because of this praying, this thing. I've got some surveys. I'm going to ask Susan and John to start passing these out. You need to grab them as they get passed out to you. We're gonna, you don't need to read them right now. We're going to take a minute and, and fill them out in just a second. I want you to know what these are. These surveys are for me, personally. I am going to take these, I'm going to read these, I'm going to consider them, along with the things I already know about each one of you as individuals who are made in the image and likeness of God and uniquely gifted. I'm going to pray over these, I'm going to discuss these with other leaders in our church, other people in our church, and then I'm going to contact every one of you that fills one of these out and make a recommendation 
That recommendation is a recommendation for the life group where I think you will serve the best. These recommendations that I give you will be based on the recommendations I'm making to the rest of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, it's important to understand a couple things. It's a recommendation. I'm not telling you what to do. I know you don't like that. Right? You guys don't like that? I'm not telling you what to do. I'm going to make a recommendation. I'm going to, but I am going to make that recommendation after putting a lot of time. It's going to take me a lot of time, effort, prayer, thought to work through all of these and, and look at our life group ministry. We've got a couple new life groups that are, that are, if you're a life group leader or host, will you stand up real quick for me? Just real quick. If you're in the room, give them a hand, these people. Keep standing. Keep standing. You guys look at these folks because after the service, I'm going to ask them to kind of gather in this area. And if you want to ask questions just generally about life group, you don't need to ask about their particular life groups, just generally about life group. These people are in it. They do it weekly. So these are good people to ask. You guys can sit down. When I make these recommendations, you do not have to do them, but know that your pastor loves you and I'm doing my best for you. So what I'm really asking is that you would pray about the recommendation I make to you because what I'm going to try to do in our life groups, because I want to be able to scale them as our church grows. I want to create in each life group a, a miniature of the body of Christ where we have differing giftings and personalities so that each person in the life group can help each other grow the very best way. So I'm going to try to put people in life groups in, in a way that, that spreads out in each life group a really healthy life group. With people who can bring different perspectives, different personalities, different gifts. That's why the questions are the way they are on this thing that I've given you. Now, I'm going to take five minutes. I'm going to put a clock up here for five minutes. I'm asking you to not do a lot of chatty chatty because people are going to want to concentrate. And you take five minutes to fill these out and then I'll be back with you. We'll finish this uh, message and then we'll take communion together. So go ahead and put that clock up for me, please. If you're not done, that's fine, like I say. If you're online and you just watched a five-minute clock run down because you weren't here to fill one of these out, will you please email susan at axchurchnw, like Northwest, axchurchnw.org. Email her and tell her you want her to send you this, and you can fill it out. I really want you all to fill out, so if you're online and you weren't here today, please email her so she can send you a copy of it so we can get yours also. I'm actually really excited about this because this degree of intentionality that, that we're taking here with Life Group uh, is going to be amazing. I, a, I get to learn more about you all. Some of you I know more than I want, but some of you, <laughs> some of you I don't know much about. And so I'm looking forward to learning some things, uh, thinking about you. One of the things that I believe God's gifted me with and one of the things that I believe that I'm responsible for at this church is recognizing giftings and how people kind of connect together. And so I'm hoping that God will help me to use that gift by the power of the Holy Spirit to give you guys as good of recommendations as possible. Again, the recommendations, once again, I'm not making you do it. There's no mandates. You're not going to lose your job. Uh, I'm not making you do anything here, just recommending. But my recommendation will be with my heart and I will have put time into thinking about how to organize the life groups we have so that you guys will have the best opportunity, not, not just to enjoy it, but to serve and as people come into this church and grow and go to these life groups, that we're going to have good, solid, well-put-together life groups. So that's my thing. I'm excited. I'm excited to think about how you all are new creations, that he's completing his work in you, that he began. I'm excited for our church 
the opportunities that God is giving us to make disciples for Jesus Christ, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them all he has commanded. For lo, he is with us always, even to the end of the age. Amen.